0: They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And our second reading is John chapter 10 verse 7 to 16. So, Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The faith of I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd.
1: Heavenly Father, how great you are, that your word is given to us. And when you speak through your word, you speak amazing truths as the one that we will read today. Father, this psalm is so familiar for many of us, but we pray that you'll give us fresh ears again. We need it. We need it constantly. So we ask Holy Spirit, take this word of yours and implant it deeply into our hearts. May it take deep root Help us to believe it, to trust it, to live with this sort of assurance. Help me to speak clearly from this as I ought. And we ask all of this for your glory and our deep, forever abiding joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was around midnight. I had just finished writing an assignment for one of my uni subjects, I felt like a midnight snack. So I walked into the kitchen, I grabbed a packet of noodles, I put a pot of water on the boil, and I turned on the little TV in our kitchen to hopefully catch the basketball highlights. Instead, I saw a live news report. A massive fire had engulfed a number of levels on the North Tower of the World Trade Center. I watched then as a second plane hit the South Tower, and then minutes later, both towers collapsed. It was like watching a movie, but it was real. September 11, 2001. A day that if you weren't born then, you must know that it changed our world forever. George W. Bush was the president, and in the evening, he finally addressed the nation in a televised speech which cemented his presidency. What would he say to his frightened and shattered people? What would he say to the world that was watching on in disbelief? What would you say if he was in his shoes? Towards the end of his short address, he said these words. Tonight, I ask for your prayers for all those who grieve, for the children whose worlds have been shattered, for all those whose sense of safety and security has been threatened. And I pray that they will be comforted by a power greater than any of us, spoken through the ages in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me." In a moment where the world was brought to its knees as people feared for their lives and their loved ones, when the shadow of death loomed larger than ever in living memory. The president quoted Psalm 23 to comfort his people. There are so many things remarkable about that moment. But for us this morning, let's consider this. Psalm 23, six very short verses, has resonated with believers and unbelievers throughout history. When President Bush quoted those words, there was no backlash. There was no movement to cancel him, that he had quoted something from the Bible. They were words received and embraced by a fearful nation. Why is that? Part of the reason is that Psalm 23's poetry is simple and yet profoundly sublime. Its simplicity has not prevented it from being deeply profound comfort for generations of people. You can see, in some ways, that it's the simplicity that makes it so easily accessible. So famous is this psalm that even if you're not very familiar with the Bible, those words will still have probably touched you in some way. So, what can be said this morning of something so familiar? Well, I am thankful that even in the simplicity there is much that we can still take. And now, before I dive into the passage, I do want to flag something. I think this psalm, because this psalm is so familiar, so personal, <clears throat> it's precious to so many of us. If I were to ask you how Psalm twenty-three has impacted your life, I'm sure that I would spend hours listening to your stories. But I think what we tend to do is that what we do with this psalm is we tend to read it and we jump straight from the psalm straight to us. And that's okay if you've done that before. Today, however, I think the simplicity of the psalm, I want to see, I want to show us, reveals and hides a number of deeper layers. See, before we take this psalm for ourselves, we need to remember that this psalm belongs to David. And then once we see how it belonged to David, then we need to see how it belonged to Jesus then once we see how uh, it belonged to Jesus, we can then see how it is given to us. So as we walk through this psalm, we're going to make a, a number of observations, and we'll see how it all comes together for us in the end. Firstly, David. Who was David? David was the king of Israel, uh, the second king in the history, but the greatest. From very humble origins, he rose to become Israel's greatest king, the greatest in terms of influence. An impact in his writing, in his policies, in his decisions. All future kings would be measured against and compared against David. But the first thing you want to notice in the psalm is who is the main subject, right? Who is the focus of this psalm? Now, it might be a psalm that belongs to David, but the main subject of the psalm is Yahweh, God. You can see that in the very first word, and you can see that in the very last word, Lord. The God who revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush, who led his people out of Egypt with miracles and wonders, who brought them into the promised land, who helped them settle there. Yahweh is the focus through all of this. And the first thing we learn about Yahweh from David's perspective is that Yahweh is his shepherd. Verse 1 and 2, you'll notice the language of shepherding and sheep throughout it. God is pictured as a shepherd, David himself as a sheep. Now, David was very familiar with shepherding. As a young boy, he was a shepherd himself. And that experience taught him quite a lot about his relationship with God. In fact, the image of God as shepherd and himself as sheep is a perfect analogy of life. Here's what I found out. Now, if you don't know me as yet, if you haven't met me yet properly, let me... Say, let me give you a little bit of insight into who I am. I am a man of many hobbies, right? I love reading, I love music, I love movies, I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Don't get me started, you will be there for hours. I love cooking, I love any sort of beverage or drink. But on that list is something that I know that I am not good at. Now, it might come as a shock to you, but I am not a farmer. These are the soft hands of a pastor, not a laborer. So when it comes to shepherding, I had to do some research. I had to go to the fountain source of all knowledge, Google. right? And then I fact-checked it with our our resident veterinarian. Where is Esther? She's at the back. There she is. If you want to ask anything about animals or pets, Esther is the person to go to. So I checked this article, and Esther says it's a green light. It's a go. So this is the article, can sheep live without a shepherd? And the unsurprising answer, or well, maybe it might be surprising, is actually a resounding no. Sheep cannot live without a shepherd. Sheep are entirely dependent on their shepherd for everything. If they need to find new pasture, pasture, not pasture, if they need to find new <laughs> pasture. If you need to find new pasture, I guess you can go to the shepherd. If they need to find green pasture, they need their shepherd. If they need water, they need to be led by their shepherd. They need their shepherd for their grooming, and they need him for protection. What happens to sheep who do not have a shepherd? Well, they are prone to wander off and get lost. And if one wanders off, the group may tend to wander off. You remember that parable that Jesus told about the lost sheep? That was very super real. If they have no shepherd, they will not find new pastures and water on their own. They are open to being attacked by predators and they are very spooked. They are spooked very easily. Sheep need a shepherd. David knew this from experience. And he knew what it was like for him to be a sheep as well. And he needs God to guide him and lead him. Everything that a shepherd is for sheep, God is for David. You see it in verse 2. He gives David peace by leading him to green pastures to lie down and still waters to find drink. Verse 3, God restores David's soul, releasing him from the anxiety and the cares that made him feel helpless and hopeless. You carry on in verse 3 and you see that God leads David in paths of righteousness. He leads David towards holiness, a life that turns from sin and seeks to honor God and glorify him. And because of that, because God is a good shepherd who cares and provides for his sheep, David says in verse 1, I shall not want. David will not lack anything. Everything he needs, everything he wants is given to David because God is leading and guiding him. Now, this doesn't mean that David's life was completely carefree and hashtag blessed in his Instagram feed every moment of every day. Notice that this psalm is simply titled a psalm of David. You'll see that right at the beginning uh, in verse 1. Usually in other psalms, as you're flicking through the, the, the book of psalms, you notice that the superscription can often actually tell you a little bit more about the context of what's going on. So what is the history? What is the story? What is the backstory behind the writing of the psalm? But in this case, we aren't told anything. It just belongs to David. So I think we're invited to think of David's entire life. And as we think about his whole life, we remember that his life was filled with constant fear, constant battles, constant dark places and valleys, on the run for for his life, family troubles, feeling feeling fear, guilt, and shame. And yet in those dark times, David has no fear. Read again the beginning of verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil the valley of the shadow of death. In the deserts around Judah, there are rocky crags and deep valleys all around. Encountering deep shadows was not uncommon. It wasn't so much that it was a place of death, but more about that fear of the unknown, the danger that lurked, a looming sense of horror and fear. It's why scary movies are usually set in the dark, why we fear the robbers at night. Why, if you're ever in this building here at nighttime, and you're downstairs, and you're the last one to leave, and you've got to lock up and turn off the lights, you switch off the bottom lights, and you stare down that dark hallway, and then you bolt upstairs. Or is that just me? <laughs> right? See, in the back of our minds, the darkness has a hold over us. The shadow of death, the place of darkness, it hovers over us, and we know what it's like. We know the fear and the uncertainty and the anxiety of those times. And David here, he was not immune from that. He knew what it was like to be in dark times, fearing the enemy, literally lurking in the shadows, the constant and overwhelming anxiety of having to be on the run from them. He knew the darkness of loneliness and the accompanying depression. And yet look at those stunning words in verse 4. I will fear no evil. Why? There's a, a remarkable turn that happens in this verse. You see, glance over verse one to three and look at the language of God and it's, he's referred to as he and him. So, right, so David's talking about God, but he's, it's almost like he's talking about God from a, a, a distance, a bit of a, a wider perspective, right? So this is what God is like. But then you notice in verse four, the language turns from distant to imminent from over, right, over there to right next to him. David refers to God in, in verses 1 to 3 in third, pers- third person, he and him, but in v- verse 4, the language becomes personal. You. See it again in verse 4. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God, the shepherd has moved from the outer ring of, for surveying his sheep, and he is drawn intimately close to David. David knew fear, but he also knew comfort and peace in those times. He knew that God was with him. At the end of verse 4, God's rod and staff comfort him. The, the shepherd's rod, which helped to prod the sheep along in the right direction, was also the rod that was used by the shepherd to crack the heads of the wolves who dared to attack the sheep. When David was on the run, he dreamed of this sort of protection in his real life, but he knew that God was with him and that he was always safe. And because God was with him, nothing could be against him. You get verses 5 and 6, which is this picture of victory. A table has been prepared by God for David. Now, the image of shepherd gives way to a new kind of image, the image of friendship. Right? I, I don't know much about shepherding, I had to Google it, but in all the articles about shepherding I read, which is admittedly only one, I didn't read anything about shepherds sitting down and preparing a meal for his sheep. And yet this is what God does. He prepares a table for David, and you'll see in verse 5, in the presence of his enemies. Right? Those who hunted David down, who tracked him and wanted to kill him, they are there at this meal. It's not like they're sitting down and enjoying it with David, like everything is now hunky dory. It's more like they are standing there watching David enjoying this meal with his shepherd God, and they are powerless to do anything. This is the ultimate win for David. Right? He, his enemies wanted his life, he survived. They wanted him broken, but he is whole and refreshed and restored by God. They wanted him filled with fear and anxiety, but he will fear no evil with God beside him. And so now they can only stand and watch as David sits and enjoys this banquet with God. And a banquet it is. You see in verse 5 again, You know my head with oil, my cup with Overflows. He is a, a special guest at this table with the anointing of the oil on his head. His cup overflows. There are a, g- a generosity above and beyond what you would normally expect. You picture it. God has prepared this meal, and here comes David. His shoes are taken off, and then he's given special house slippers for his feet, but they're not the slippers that you get on the airlines. They're like properly bought, store-bought slippers. And they're really comfy, in a tall glass of cold refreshing water is handed to him he's shown the seat of honor and then the food comes out and it's all his favorites roast meats fresh seafood the wine is the best and his cup never empties the fun and the festivities continue on this meal never comes to an end this is the sort of picture here one of overflowing and unending generosity from god and a generosity and victory that no one can take away. In verse 6, David knows that with God by his side, goodness and mercy will be with him forever. And when David says, all the days of my life, at the end here, he means something more like, for days without end. Forevermore. The same idea is paralleled at that final line. David will be in God's presence, in the house of the Lord forever. With Yahweh as David's shepherd, he is led, he is restored, he is protected and comforted for everlasting joy. Given everything David went through in his life, this is a stunning psalm of comfort to him. And yet the psalm doesn't just belong to David David was not only a king, he was also a prophet. His writing, his life, all pointed forward to Jesus. And so as David experienced this psalm, so did Jesus, and perhaps in a more profound way. Jesus knew what it was like to be in close relationship with God. From eternity past, he experienced this fellowship. And in this, his time on earth, Jesus was led by God. The Spirit would move him about at times, and he trusted himself to his Father's leading. Jesus would walk in paths of righteousness, never once disobeying God, never once embracing sin. Jesus also knew the valley of the shadow of death very well. From the Garden of Gethsemane, as his anxiety levels pushed through so high that he began sweating droplets of blood to the beating and torture he endured as his body was whipped, to walking towards the hill on which he would be crucified, Jesus knew intimately the experience of the shadow of death, the shadow that would steal away every breath and replace it with pain and fear. And yet, in those moments, Jesus knew God was with him. Even in those moments on the cross where it seemed like he was abandoned, God was with him, reconciling himself to the world through his Son. And we see this unfailing trust in his final prayer, entrusting his life into his Father's hands. And in the most upside-down moment in history, his death was his great moment of victory. Surrounded by his enemies, helpless to change that moment. The judgment of sin was fully and finally satisfied. And then as he rose from the grave, his victory was sealed. Life overflowing and abundant comes to him and then flows out of him. Now that Jesus is risen and reigning by his father's side, only goodness follows him forever, with his father forevermore. David was, for all his greatness, a deeply flawed man. Yet what David saw in a glimpse and experienced in moments, Jesus experiences to fullness. And the amazing thing then is that Jesus takes his experience of this psalm and then gives it to us. How? Well, he becomes our shepherd. That's what he said uh, in That reading from the Gospel of John. I am the Good Shepherd. In that short little phrase, I am the Good Shepherd, Jesus takes this psalm of David, this psalm that belonged to him more fully, and then he gives it to us. But then he also does more. Jesus goes on in the Gospel of John to say something even more stunning. Our shepherd goes further than what David experienced. I am the Good Shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, I, and I lay down my life for the sheep. See, how shepherd goes further. He, he lays down his life for us in order to protect us from the wrath of sin, in order to pro- destroy the works of Satan. Jesus dies for his people. And not in some distant way, like he's doing us a favor, but he does it out of deep and personal knowledge of his people. You see that there in verse 14 and 15. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. That is stunning. In the same way that Father and Son know each other perfectly, we are known by Jesus, And we can know him. And this Jesus is our shepherd as he leads us in this psalm. Friends, maybe some of you here don't know the comfort of this psalm. You see the pastures and the peace that David speaks of here, and you want that sort of comfort and victory in your life. And the way to receive that is to come and trust Jesus. You enter into those green pastures by asking Jesus to forgive your sins repenting and turning from them and turning to trust Jesus with your life now and eternally. You embrace Jesus as Savior and King of your life. And in doing that, He then becomes your shepherd, leading you to places of rest and refreshment. Friends, maybe some of you here have been taking false comfort in this psalm. You believe God is your shepherd, but you're neither listening to Jesus or following him. That's what Jesus says his sheep will do a bit later in John's Gospel. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So maybe today's a reminder for you here that unless you are reading God's word and hearing Jesus, and if you're following that up with obedience, but you cannot claim the blessings of this son If you do not belong to Jesus, God is not your shepherd. If you know Jesus and love him, Psalm 23 is for you. As we've journeyed uh, through how David understood this psalm and then how Jesus made it his and then gave it to us. I've been thinking through this week uh, on what this psalm means. I've been trying to think through about this idea of taking a deep breath, a a moment to breathe before we dive into the busyness of the year. I picture kind of that moment. You know know what it's like when you're so rushed, and you're trying to head into the office, or you're trying to head into the workday for another hectic day, and you pause for a moment, and you've got to steady yourself. Well, that moment you wake up and you're just dead tired and you're about to roll out of bed and ride that wave of stress throughout the rest of the day taking care of your young family. You wake up and you take a moment just to still yourself. (laughs) Whatever that moment is, we we know those times when we are about to face something challenging or hard or just the daily grind and we need those moments to breathe. Psalm 23 comes not just as a breath, but as a deep, rock-solid foundation for our feet. It's a safe place for our weary bodies and souls. It's the cold, refreshing fountain on a hot, humid day, or as it has turned out to be a hot, humid month. I've heard many stories this week of people who need this, who, you know, we've only ticked into February, and the hangover of the stress and tiredness of last year has been lingering on. Some of us live with this perpetual weariness. And into into that moment comes this breath, this foundation, this rock-solid moment, this moment to be refreshed by our shepherd, Jesus. To remember that the promises of this psalm, the picture of rest, of victory, are really ours to remember that in the craziness and pressure of our lives, there is stillness, there is quiet, there is peace and restoration. I am the good shepherd. I lead you to places of rest and refreshment. I will restore your soul. I will be with you in that valley of darkness. Now It may feel overwhelming at times. It may make you feel like you've lost your footing and your hope. But I have been there. I will be with you and I will lead you through. What a wonderful promise of assurance and comfort. Jesus doesn't promise that he will get rid of those valleys of darkness. He doesn't promise that if you follow him, there will be no valleys of darkness. He promises to be with us in those valleys, and he promises that they will never engulf us his own journey through death's dark shadows and into light guarantee that the darkness will not win. So let us keep coming back to this psalm, our psalm, for refreshment, for restoration, for assurance, and for comfort. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, you are our shepherd, and we shall not want. You will lead us to those places of green pastures. You will help us to be led to still waters. You will restore our souls. You will lead us in paths of righteousness for your glory. And in those times of deep darkness and the shadow of death, Help us to fear no evil, to remember that you are with us always until the end of the age. Help us to remember our Shepherd Jesus, that your rod and your staff, they comfort us and they protect us. Let us then live with that victory picture in mind of a table with you, of a banquet, a feast. And to remember that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. For in trusting you, we will dwell with you forever. Help us to remember these comforts for your glory and our joy. In your precious name we pray.